it was a very difficult household to live in because we were all watching each other, I guess. We were all scared. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, the podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realization Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. So today I'm with Deb Simmons, um, uh, a very dear friend and uh, who lives in North Devon. And she's the founder of Dare to Be You, where they really focus on helping others to help themselves. So hi, Deb. Hi, Marie. Thank you very much for having me here. <laughs> so, so, Deb, um, just introduce yourself. I've just mentioned Dare to Be You, but, you know, t- tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, so I work from home. Dare to Be You is um, a little family business. I run from home actually working with my niece, Beck. Um, but I have three children. My eldest daughter lives in London. Then my middle daughter lives about 10 minutes down the road from where I am. And I have a gorgeous 17-month-old grandson um, and a lovely son-in-law. And then I have a son who he also lives in the slightly opposite direction, about 10 minutes down the road in the other direction from me. And he is, um, he's 22. Um, and yeah, he's, I love my children and we are incredibly close, but that was not always the case. <laughs> no, no, indeed. And, and yours is such an interesting story. Um, and, and I'm really pleased to be able to talk to you about it. So, and actually we've decided that it's such a, uh, such an intense and an important story that we're going to do it in a two-parter. Mm. So I'm <laughs> going to talk to you today and I'm going to talk to Laura or Laura and Josh, your children, uh, on another podcast, which is, which is really exciting. So, um, yeah. Deb, tell us about your, your situation in your marriage. What did you actually experience? Um, well, I got married to a man who was incredibly charming and I felt um, incredibly lucky to have married someone so good looking and so charming. And But very, very quickly, I think I was very insecure and very, very quickly it became obvious that he was incredibly controlling. Um, and I guess through my insecurities and this feeling of not being good enough and being, um, I can't even think what the word is really, but it, it felt like I, it, I was, he was too good for me as in, you know, I would never get anyone who was that good looking, that popular. So I stayed in that relationship. And as I said, I got three children who were all brought up in that environment. So the, the abuse, which there isn't any other word for it, I guess, uh, got more and more intense as the children got older and as my husband got more and more insecure himself. And uh, I don't know, I guess I could describe some of the things. We, we were incredibly controlled. One of the things um, we had to count the 
pieces of toilet roll that we were allowed to use. We just had stupid, ridiculous rules in our house that had to be followed and we wouldn't know what the rules were going to be. It would just be, right, today nobody is allowed to eat baked beans. And so then he would go off out to work and then if anyone wanted baked beans for dinner, and it's one of those silly things where you just, when, when somebody, when you are in that place, it's not so much what the rules are, but it's the fact that you are on high alert because you are worried about whether you break the rules or not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you wouldn't necessarily know what the rules were until you broke them. Mm-hmm. Or there might be clues about what you should have done or what you shouldn't have done. Um, and the children, as the children got older, I know know you're going to be speaking to Laura and possibly Josh too, and I guess they will give their versions of what happened. But as 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 they get older, as they got older, Laura became um, the spy in our household. Very much, she she could see that her dad was the one who ruled the roost. Her dad was the one who made the decisions, and obviously, I was weak and it wasn't worth siding with me I don't think she made any of these decisions consciously but as human beings we have something built into us a survival mechanism I guess and she could see that I wasn't on the winning team if you like Um, she became um, I had to be careful what happened in front of her because she might report that back to her dad because that was obviously, if she was, whoever was in favour with him was the one who would have a better experience of life. It was easier for you if he, if you were in favour with him, then so much the better. So, and there's, there's a huge gap between, uh, Laura is um, 30 and Josh is 22. So there's a huge gap between the two. So my two daughters were brought up together and then it was a long time later that my son came came along so definitely when the two girls were growing up um it was a very difficult household to live in because we were we were all watching each other I guess we were all scared we were all worried about what would happen next oh gosh that's um I've got so many things I want to ask you (laughs) um I think from talking to you before this I think it's okay to ask you this but you know what might be might have been a consequence of if you'd eaten beans when it was a day when you weren't allowed to eat beans you know what can you give us a sense of of the threat of abuse that you because often it's the threat of abuse yes than the actual abuse isn't it one of the things when you said that what was actually coming to me was I would have no idea what might happen because it would completely depend what mood he was in when we did that and sometimes we could do things that we weren't supposed to, if you like. And it would just be, you would, we would spend hours being really, really scared that he would find out. Um, we would all be, we would all try and get our stories straight. Or when the children were smaller, I would try and make sure the children were in bed because, you know, toddlers and three and four year olds, they can say things un- unexpectedly. You know, they say, oh, we went to the park today and it might be a day we weren't allowed out. Or they might say something like, oh, well, I saw a leaf. And then it would be, how did that happen? Mm. So the, the problem wasn't so much what it was. Absolutely, it was the threat of it. And then you lived in fear all the time because I, I just didn't know what he was going to do. But um, 
sometimes the consequences would just be, especially more so for the children, really. He was quite um, controlling with the children. If one of them did something that he didn't like, he might make them stand in the room that night with their facing the wall and not be allowed to join in with anything that the family was doing. Um, that kind of thing. Or sometimes if he, he would get angry sometimes um, and there would be a lot of shouting and he, he never hit us, but we might, he might grab hold of us and shove us against a wall or that kind of, it was more that sort of thing. But you just, the problem wasn't so much what he did. The problem was more that you didn't know what was going to happen next. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that, you know, absolute fear of what ifs. Yes. Yeah. I, I realized the cycle that people the who are being abused go, to, go through mm. and how sometimes, because I've heard people say, well, why does, the, why does the person being abused, the woman in your case, do that? Why does she try and trigger that? But actually sometimes the fear of the retribution was worse than the retributions. It's almost like let's yes. just get it over and done with and then we get back into the nice honeymoon loving period again. Yeah, totally. Can yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I would deliver. I would want to make him angry because if he lost his temper and got incredibly angry with us, then there would be the sorry afterwards. There would be, and for a little while, then things would actually be quite nice. And but then it would you'd begin to go back into the phase of oh, it's been nice. And I mean, it could be an hour, it could be a day, it could be two days, it could be a week, it could be a month. You didn't know how long the nice was going to last until and yeah after a very short amount of time I would go back into that place of being on alert again because we'd been in nice even if it was only for an hour I'm thinking like we're in night and you're not thinking about it like that you're not aware that you're in you know we're talking about this now and I'm I've been out of this relationship for 10 years and I'm in a very very different place and I can look back and I can see what I did and see what was going on at that time I, I it wasn't a conscious you weren't consciously thinking like this but I can see that yeah we would be in this period of he would have just apologized because he would have gone too far and he was worried that I was maybe going to leave or he, he knew he'd overstepped the mark slightly and then you would move into nice but within a short time of being in nice then you'll watch you begin to watch everything you're doing again because you're just wondering well which thing is going to be the one that's going to sort of trigger the rise again <laughs> until the next episode and and did you did you ever find yourself relaxing into the nice and then slipping up and I, when I say slipping up I mean inverted <laughs> commas you know what was that, that that feels to me something that could be quite easy to do. Yes, you could just think, yeah, we're just a throwaway comment might be, you know, oh, oh, I did this today, just a throwaway comment. And then it's like you've lit a fuse. Right. Um, and yeah, um, one of the things that I, that happened to me a lot, I don't know if anyone else who's ever been in this situation can resonate with this was I, because I would be so nervous all the time. It's really interesting because when I'm saying this, this just rarely happens to me now, but I, I am the kind of person who goes red very easily. If someone just asks me a question, I can just go red sometimes probably getting a little bit pink now, just saying that I can, it, it's just something that happens. And one of the things would be that if I would ever go red, he would be, he would just get so 
angry and want to know why I was going red, what it was I was hiding, what was, and I would just go red for no reason whatsoever. I would just be thinking, don't go red, don't go red, don't go red. You know, when he came in, in from work or something, I'd just be thinking, don't go red, don't go red, don't go red. And you know what it's like, as soon as you're like that, you, you start to go red. You know, I, I would just start to feel hot and bothered. And the things that I would do to try and, um, you know, take the attention off that, I would suddenly drop something on the floor and then I, and he would say, you've gone red. And I'd say, oh no, I just leaned down. You know, I, I, I just, the blood's gone to my head or all sorts of things that I would try. And if he, if he was fixated with, you know, why have you gone red? What's gone on? In the end, you know, sometimes after three or four hours of interrogation, I'd just be trying to think of something that I could make up to say why I'd gone red. And then I would be in trouble for that. And then another night, exactly like you're saying, another night I might go red and he'd just go, oh, you look kind of cute when you're red. Moving on. That's like, what's that about? <laughs> and so unsettling. I can't imagine anything more mm. unsettling like in your own home you you just don't know how anything you do you know what kind of reaction it's going to get at all mm. you're totally on eggshells the whole time that when I I read some when I was still in my relationship when when it was nearly towards the end when I actually found out about uh, women's aid which was the the organization that's what it was called at the time that helped me reading some of their leaflets and they just said you know do you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time and it was like someone had got in my head and I was like yes that's exactly what I feel like I'm just or like through a minefield you're trying to walk through a minefield trying not to set something off so yeah <laughs> well that's really interesting that you mentioned women's aid and I just want to ask you a question before that um so you you mentioned about um Laura becoming a spy. And again, I'm aware that um, children are often recruited by an abuser to um, fulfill roles like the spy role, like the caretaker mm. role, like the, min the second manipulator role. It's, it's a very um, common kind of phenomenon in this, in this yes. domestic violence um, situation. Um, wh what were your fears about your children? Because I know ultimately... Laura's situation was was part of the reason why you decided to get out but what what were your when you saw your children you know being forced to stand facing the wall for the evening and you could do nothing about it or you know what what were your fears about them during this time I don't think I had the headspace to think long term about what might happen to them in, in, at that time. I think at that time, all I could focus on was making sure they were okay in that moment. Mm. And I know, you know, we, I know I can understand if people are listening to that and thinking, you know, why on earth did you stay? Why on earth, you know, if you're trying to think short to how do I keep my children safe? Why didn't you walk away? Well, there are all sorts of reasons that, you don't walk away. And now I have walked away. They, they sound even a little bit crazy to me, but, um, I honestly thought that we were better off there. Um, 
I, I didn't think that I would be able to cope on my own. I'd been told, you know, time and time and time and time again that I wouldn't be able to cope on my own. And another thing that he, he would say a lot was that if we split up, he would take the children. He would, he would make sure everybody knew that I was mad and he would take the children and I wouldn't see them. And I figured that they were better off with me being there at, rather than me not I thought that if he did get the children and I, I believed him I, I know he is even after we had split up we had we had to we had some kind of reconciliation thing that we had to do towards our divorce and because of our situation because I'd been in a refuge um uh we had to go to a building at completely different times and I had to come in through a different door and and he was supposed to to I was supposed to be let go first and after half an hour he had to stay there half an hour after I had gone and the person who was taking that was that they were supposed to be professional people who knew what was going on knew our situation and this was a meeting that we had to have and he managed to talk to the people and tell them that there had been no abuse in our family we were perfectly okay and they actually let us out of that building at the same time because that's how, even though they'd had paperwork even though they knew I was in a refuge even though they knew all that he talked to them and convinced them that I had made all that up and actually he was not a threat to me or the children at all and these were professional people who did who worked with you know women in this way and they believed him and so he he was he was incredibly convincing right. yeah <laughs> Yes. So, so how, how was your, um, your escape? You know, how, how would you describe, you know, so you, you picked up a leaflet from Women's Aid. And I think this might be really helpful because this is a real story, you know, from a real person. So if anybody is listening who might be caught in a situation of domestic violence, and this could be really helpful for them. Um, so I was really lucky actually to have a friend who um, was quite close to me. We, we actually ran a business together, my husband and I, and she actually worked for us in the business. So she saw some things firsthand that possibly other people just never saw. Um, and she, she, she knew what, or what she knew enough to, she actually got the leaflet about women's aid and, um, it was actually, as I said, my daughter, Laura, her, she was getting more and more um, upset about the situation. She was becoming a teenage. She was, what was she? She would have been 17 when we actually split up and things were getting more and more out of hand. He, the, the, the abuse and the violence was stepping up because because she was growing up and disagreeing with her dad and didn't want to, didn't want to toe the line, didn't want to do as she was told. Um, I'd sent my eldest daughter to live with my sister because it had become unsafe for her in the house. But Laura was with us and she didn't want to go. She didn't want to go and live anywhere else, but she was very angry. She was, um, she was in a mess basically because of everything that had happened. And, it was because she was in such a state. It was actually her talking to me and just saying, I'm going to commit suicide if, if, if you don't leave. And I, I don't think that I ever thought that she would commit suicide. I don't think she, that was not really what was going on for her, but she just wanted to convey to me how, how desperate she felt, I guess. Um, 
so my friend had got this leaflet and I actually was went to the doctors with my daughter and um the doctor actually had no I, I just said I didn't know where to turn but I need to help my daughter because she's in such a desperate situation and actually the doctor wasn't very helpful I, I think this was about 10 years ago so I do believe that doctors are probably a lot more aware and hopefully a lot better but the doctor just said well I, I don't I don't know neither of you are ill and I don't really know what you're here for and I don't really know what I can do and my daughter actually ran out of the doctor's surgery um, and she ran straight into this particular friend it's almost like there's um, something in the universe that has our back that <laughs> protects us sometimes gives us these little things she actually ran into this particular friend um, and it was my friend then said you need to ring these people you need to ring these people so I actually rang Women's Aid and I actually rang them and said I'm not in an abusive relationship there's nothing wrong with me I'm absolutely fine but I don't know what to, how to help my daughter. My daughter's struggling and I don't know how to help her. And unbeknown to me at that time, the person who took my call um, was incredibly concerned because they said it's an absolute sign that there is something bad going on when the person is saying, <laughs> apparently that's one of the signs when you, know, you have no idea. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not in an abusive relationship. It's nothing yeah. to do with me. I'm absolutely fine. But um, I've had to sneak out of the house to phone somebody because mm. my daughter's struggling and I need some help. And she was like, oh um so yeah the, and this lovely lady who I'm now great friends with um arranged to come to our home and she said don't worry I'll say that I'm the Avon lady if if you know there's a, ever a problem or whatever um and she actually met up with Laura two or three times before she came to our house before she met me she actually met up in the local doctor's surgery actually she actually met up with Laura two or three times and had some conversations with Laura and I guess got an idea of what it was like living in our house mm. um, and before she actually came to visit me because I, I just couldn't have hardly any contact with her because it just wasn't possible really to to speak to somebody in that way um, but she actually had arranged the place in the refuge for us before she even came to visit me, but I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> oh, so she really had your back. She did. Yeah. She was an amazing lady. It's a brilliant, brilliant organisation. And if anyone is listening to that and they are in a situation similar to me, you know, these there are amazing people out there who, who will just help you. They do understand. They do know what you're up against and they do know what to say in situations they do know how to help you do find a way to reach out because it's life-changing yeah and I also know you know people have told me instead of um uh bundling up your old clothes and toys and things and giving them to I don't know the dump put in the dump or wherever you know women's refuge houses are desperate because people desperate. leave with nothing they literally it, flee yeah yeah. I mean, I, I was I was very lucky that I managed to get a suitcase when I left. And I, I actually did manage, I was incredibly lucky that I did actually manage to go back to my house. When we left the refuge, my husband agreed to leave the house. Um, all sorts of things had happened and that's another story, but he agreed to leave the house and I did go back to the house with the children. So I was incredibly lucky. But yes, I if I hadn't have been able to do that and I, I have seen other women and obviously met and I've worked in this sector now for a long time. And yeah, very often you have to just leave with what you've got, what you can carry in your hands and what you've, you know, what you've got, the clothes you've got on your back and, and what you can carry. That's not uncommon at all. Mm -hmm. 
So what, what would, how would you describe your relationship with your children now? 10 years on. Um, amazing. <laughs> really close. Um, absolutely brilliant. It, the thing that shocked me the most, I think, as I said earlier, you know, when my children were small, I don't think I ever thought about any long-term consequences. I just don't think it ever entered my head. I just didn't have the headspace to, to deal with the future or what might be. And it was only after um, I was on my own and, and had no idea how as I said my eldest daughter by that time she was an adult and she lived with my sister um I'm incredibly close with her still we're we're, you know very close as a family now um but I found myself trying to parent my son who at the time he was nine ten and my daughter who was 17 and trying to parent them I didn't realize it wasn't until I found myself in that situation it wasn't until till then that I realized how much they had been affected mm. and my daughter I'm sure she will speak to to you about this when you when you speak to her but she she'd only ever seen me be abused she'd only ever seen me be this pathetic person in you know who did as did step into the role of abuser a a little bit initially at the beginning and actually trying to and the the work that I do now is very much around what I learned from there from that moment you know finding myself again and finding my own grounding and actually from a very very loving place teaching my daughter about herself too that she didn't need to be manipulative that she didn't need to be like that and she is an amazing mum I am so proud of her and you know what she's done with her both my daughters and my son when and all of us as a family I mean we don't we do sometimes have conversations about the past but mostly we laugh about it mostly we we laugh about some of the situations the ridiculousness of some of the rules and and the situations we find we found ourselves in now they're quite funny um but yeah that that period of once I was out of that relationship you know everything that I do now the business that I run dare to be you is very much focused on helping people and it it might not be because they've been in an abusive relationship but a lot of us can be insecure for different reasons and just lose ourselves and then find ourselves in very very difficult situations where we just don't know what to do we don't know how to cope with that and so yeah everything we do is about learning who we actually are and we, we talked you know a couple of times during this podcast I said you know when my daughter ran out of the doctor she ran into that lovely lady and I can see time and time again a thread through my life where there was something somehow had got my back even in the worst of moments, even in the worst of times, I had an intelligence in me that knew what to do in certain situations. I watched my children know what to do in certain situations. And one of the things, we went for some counselling after after the the marriage had ended and um, a couple of the counsellors, very, very well-meaning, I'm sure, but they told me that my children had been so traumatised that they would never be okay, that the best that we could hope was that they would have coping mechanisms and they would probably um, have PTSD symptoms and 
um, panic attacks and things like that would be what, you know, that would be their life. And I felt so crushed and so guilty and so terrible and really hated myself because of that. And my turning point was when I came across an understanding of the mind that what I heard, it was actually a podcast, not, not dissimilar to this that I was listening to. And I actually heard that everything that my children had been through and everything that I had been through, we were still whole and complete. And there was still a hundred percent hope that we would be perfectly okay. And that was like somebody switched a light on for me. It was just wow amazing and we are as a family we are living testament to the truth of that we are all just we are so close we just have a lot of fun um both my daughters are amazing young women and my son is brilliant I'm so proud of him they're, they're great and we are all incredibly close so oh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 a really really you know, really brilliant to hear. And, you know, I just ask you, you know, what, so what would be your message if you had one message to anybody else who's out there who may be experiencing domestic violence or may be caught up in, in the stories they're telling themselves, you know, the things that they've been told repeatedly that they're believing themselves, you know, what would Mm. be your message to them? No matter what is going on for you and no matter what, what your circumstances are, you are whole and complete and so are the people that you love the most and there is there is an intelligence in life that has your back find a way to speak to somebody and a way will find you if that's what you want to do yeah and we do know when the right person appears we just know absolutely don't we absolutely yes oh deb you're so lovely I say that every podcast (laughs) but I mean it (laughs) so if anybody wanted to contact you and 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 I'd really love it you know because it's important that you've got you've got a YouTube channel there's lots of ways that people could tap into um, yes the work that you do and the message that you're putting out there so what's the best way for anybody to contact you or to see the work that you do so we have a website that is dare to be you dot co dot uk www.daretobeyou and dare to be you is d-a-r-e the number two the letter b and the letter u dare to be you um, we are on facebook we have a facebook page of the same name dare to be you and a facebook group dare to be you um, as uh, yeah we've got a youtube channel that's dare to be you too we, we're always putting things out on there we are very very visible me and beck we um so please do reach out and we're always happy on we do do pay programs we do you know this is our business we do make money through this but equally we put out a lot of free stuff and we are very very happy to answer questions support Every week, our, um, YouTube, we do a YouTube show every single week. And if anyone has any questions, nothing, you know, we will talk about anything. We're happy to, to share, to, to support and help. And you can do that anonymously. If there's something particular you want us to, to talk about, we're happy to do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel that we are fairly visible, but <laughs> we're not quiet. <laughs> I think that you are. And I think that you're right that you you are very supportive. And I know that if somebody you know wanted to reach out to you and just ask you a question you would 
be there. So, um, Deb, Absolutely. thank you so totally. much. And um, we'll we'll do part two with your children, Laura and Josh, hopefully. And um, thanks, thanks for your time, Deb. Oh, thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast because I think it's just so lovely to get um, a message of hope out. I, I would have loved to have heard something like this when I was in my darkest moment. So <laughs> thanks, Deb. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realisationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.